Hawk and Animal, The Legion of Doom, or The Road Warriors, if you grew up on non-WWF wrestling, were one of the biggest tag teams in the whole of wrestling in the 80s and 90s, winning multiple tag titles across numerous wrestling promotions. Known for their hard-hitting style, shoulder pads, haircuts, face paint, and some of the wildest promos you'll ever see. LOD, they first made an appearance on our timeline back in May 2003 in a tag team match against RVD and Kane. Remembered by most for Hawk jumping straight back up to his feet after receiving a frog splash from RVD and a chokeslam from Kane. Unfortunately, this led to WWE not signing the Road Warriors and then in October of that year, things took a sad turn as the demons Hawk had been battling for many years finally took him away from us. Fast forward to 2005 and in desperate need of assistance in his war with Eminem, Heidenreich, he was looking for a partner. Cue that whoa so familiar music as Animal makes his way down to the ring to save Smackdown's resident poet from a big beatdown and introducing a brand new version of the Legion of Doom that actually went on to win the Smackdown tag titles. It felt like the most random thing that ever happened, but there was method behind the madness. WWE, they had a DVD to sell. WWE Road Warriors, life and death of the most dominant tag team in wrestling history. And that's what I'm going to go and take a look at today. Oh, what a rush. The Warriors are always ready. The Road Warriors were the first of their kind. They were over-the-top bad guys posing as good guys. They epitomize what success is in this industry because they dared to be different. In the ring, out of the ring, in the gym, promo-wise, in-ring ability, charisma-wise, they had the whole package. The DVD, it was released June 25th, 2005 and was two discs set. Uh, one of the first discs being a documentary and the other filled with a ton of matches. There was like 19, 20 matches in total. We had talking heads to start. Jerry Lawler, he said in 50 years, people will honestly be able to look back and say the Road Warriors, aka the Legion of Doom, were the greatest tag team of all time. Uh, Jerry Briscoe, he talks about the Road Warriors' initial impact on the wrestling scene, about their unique style. Um, Jim Ross, he says how jobbers, or as JR says, extras, would be in absolute fear of being up against the Road Warriors in matches because of their brutality and their unique ability to kick the living daylights out of them. Uh, Jim Ross talks about their style being smash mouth and totally in your face. Jerry Lawler, he talks about a moment from Memphis where the Road Warriors faced Austin Idol and Jerry Lawler in a match at the Mid-South Coliseum. We see footage of the match and it just shows how the Road Warriors are throwing them all over the place. Absolutely. They're portrayed as monsters on the wrestling scene in the early days. We see Animal, he talks about the original Legion of Doom with Jake Roberts, King Kong Bundy, The Spoiler and The Road Warriors with Paul Ellering. Um, Ellering talks about how he managed The Road Warriors, not just inside the ring but outside the ring as well. Uh, with JR and Jim Cornette chiming in with their thoughts on how clever Ellering was and how he controlled and looked after and kind of manipulated the world uh, when it came to The Road Warriors. I wasn't even in wrestling yet. I don't know how the mind works but it was a premonition dream. So he was smart into the business, and he told these guys what they needed to do and what they didn't need to do. Tell him, Paul! 
And all David, I think I can summarize it all by saying something I've said before. You don't have to be able to split atoms to figure this one out. The Legion of Doom wants it because we'll do anything, anything in the world to keep these belts. I think Adam and Hawk learned a lot from Paul Allen because Paul had a little bit of season as a seasoned veteran, and Paul was easy to step back and watch situations, not only in matches, but outside the ring. There's Paul Ellering, he's directing this whole thing, the orchestrator. And we would go, we'd work through matches, we'd work through interviews, and I'd tell him about the business and try to put him on that fast track to an education. We then look at the Road Warriors moving from Georgia to the AWA. Uh, we see comments from people like Michael Hayes, Barry Dorso, explaining why the team made the move. Uh, we see how the Road Warriors went on to be crowned PWI Tag Team of the Year. Uh, Michael Hayes says there's not many teams that are the reason that people turn up to shows. There's not many teams that main event, but the Road Warriors were definitely one of them. I have to agree with Michael Hayes there. The Road Warriors, for me, especially when I, I was in that era, I was like... I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten. when the Road Warriors are around. Oh, they're amazing, amazing. Uh, we see the Road Warriors in numerous feuds with the likes of the Freebirds before they decide to make the move back to Crockett in the NWA, where Animal mentions how the Road Warriors turned face without even trying. Uh, they had a feud with Ivan and Nikita Kolov, and uh, the Road Warriors, as soon as they made the entrance, the crowd popped for them, and he said, that were it, because we didn't have to change anything, we didn't have to do anything, we were just cool as fuck. And we were bad guys, wrestling all their good guy tag teams at the time. Until one day, I wrestled Ivan and Nikita Koloff, Hawk and I did. As soon as we went down to that match, we were instant good guys. We never changed one thing. We never changed our interview, our look, anything. And we were good guys from that point on. We then see them talk about the scaffold match with the Midnight Express where it just looked ridiculously dangerous. Uh, Cornet says the Express was shouting, we're dumb, we're stupid, what are we doing this for? Um, it looked ropey as hell as um, Hawk and Animal were even climbing up um, to the top of the uh, scaffolding. It was stupid, crazy. And then Jim Cornet, who was afraid of heights, he agrees to climb as well, falls. Big boss man, uh, who was the manager somewhere, no, bodyguard maybe, um, he forgets to catch him and Cornet blow, blows out both legs. Like I'm so glad they don't do scaffold matches anymore people would like die <laughs> die probably anything else i ever do so if it has to cut i didn't even tell my wife it's jim cornett the animal Paul and when i was up there i was just thinking this this can end well but at least a lot of people are going to see it grab on the handle underneath the scaffold and the thing was, boss man, they had those glasses on, and they were looking up. He was supposed to catch Cornette. I'm saying, man, Cornette's going to drop like a lead brick. There's no way he's going to catch him. Well, Cornette went to fall, fell and blew out both knees. He misjudged him with the glasses on. And no scaff. I'm glad they don't do the scaffold matches anymore. Animal says Jim Hurd, though, was one of the reasons that LOD left the WCW. Um, he said one day Hawk had had enough, gave notice, they fucked off. And then they see their WBF debut with Heenan on commentary, saying, don't worry about these guys, they're a proven commodity, they're just not proven here yet. Um, they were seasoned vets when they came over to WBF, everybody knew who they were, and instantly they became mega fan favourites. Um, and then JR says that, in his opinion, Legion of Doom were more entertaining than WBF. Uh, we see a clip from the barbershop uh, with Hawk brushing hand saying, oh, what a brush. Oh, what a brush. What a brush. 
then they talk about the build-up to the, the Clash of the Titans, Demolition versus the Road Warriors, uh, and then it quickly scoots onto the Road Warriors fight or Legion of Doom, finally getting their hands on the one title that's evaded them so far, the WWF Tag Team titles, defeating the Nasty Boys. Um, then, for me, this is like the most interesting part of the DVD. They speak about when Hawk and Animal split up. Yeah, I think because of Hawk's downfall with Vince, it affected a lot of business for both of us. Unfortunately, the thought process, he forgot that we're a team, and he made a personal decision which affected a team. He just didn't want to change badly enough to get over the hump and stay there. Joe had a real challenging time. Hawk hooked up with the London chapter of the Hells Angels, and we never saw him again after that. He was a troubled soul at that time. Hawk had called and talked to Vince's secretary at the time and said, This is Hawk. I've had enough. I quit. And that was it. By the time the LOD got through with the WWE in the early 90s, the AWA was essentially a wasteland. The NWA, they'd kind of been there and done that. So they lost a lot of leverage. And a lot of that was because people just didn't know what to expect of Hawk on a day-to-day -day basis. It was hard to me because I was, felt like I was being deserted by my partner. I thought it was unprofessional and not cool what he did, leaving me in the business at the time. He was listening to the guys like Jake Roberts, who was not always on the straight and narrow a lot of times, unfortunately, but feeding them all animals, saying this and that, instead of Mike just taking for granted, hey, I've been with you for so many years, you should believe me. He was believing all these things the other guys were saying, kind of like schoolyard garbage, and he ended up quitting. Being a businessman, I went ahead and I finished out the rest of the bookings that LOD was booked on. I went over to Japan, wrestled a match that was supposed to be a tag, and it was actually two against one against the Beverly Brothers. It was out of that match there that I got a double suplex put on me, and I landed the wrong way, where I couldn't feel my legs. And finally, I felt the burn coming back, and I ended up hurting two or three discs. So that's when I took some time off, and Hawk took off and went to Japan by himself. When Hawk first left for Japan, I was really irritated with him. He wasn't just damaging the Road Warrior legacy and everything else, which was the least important at the time. He was damaging my family and, and my income and my support for my family too. I wasn't so much against him doing it, I was against him going without asking me to go with um, Paul Ellering, he talks about Hawk disappearing after SummerSlam 1992. Animal talks about Hawk having mood swings, his problems with drink and drugs. Um, it was touched upon by Michael Hayes, Jim Ross. Um, Animal says how people influenced Hawk and how he was a danger to the people in the ring by nearly dropping them on their heads during matches. Um, he, he did this all the time, though. <laughs> Animal talks about how Hawk and Vince McMahon had a personal feud because Hawk was outspoken, as well as the fact he refused to go into rehab when Vince offered to put him in. Animal talks about how Hawk joined the London section of the Hells Angels and handed in his notice with the WWF and left Animal high and dry. Animal, he speaks candidly about how upset he was with Hawk, especially because he listened to people like Jake Roberts rather than Animal, who had been a long-time friend. Animal, he talks about how he stayed with the WWF and completed the remaining dates of his contract, but unfortunately, he got injured in a handicap match with the Beverly Brothers while in Japan. Animal talks about how he was also upset with Hawk because when they split, um, Hawk went over to Japan and restarted the Road Warriors uh, with Kenz uh, Kenzuki Sasaki. I always love butchering them names, uh, which he didn't, didn't really turn out the greatest. Uh, we see some footage of the Road Warriors returning to WCW in 96, as Eric Bischoff talks about why he decided to sign and bring them back. 
Animal talks about a contract dispute that occurred with WCW revolving around the Road Warriors having two separate contracts for WCW Japanese dates and WCW American dates. Animal saying the contract never came about. Bischoff says he can't remember if he did offer that contract or not, uh, but he says he thought the Road Warriors thought they were more valuable than they actually were. WCW would go to Japan and we would be dressing with the Japanese guys because we were so close and over in Japan. So that kind of really ticked off WCW because they had a contract going with New Japan. New Japan said, yeah, all other gaijin, which means all other Americans, but road warriors are separate. That really made them mad. So when we approached Eric Bischoff, we said, hey, man, we want to have a separate contract with Japan, a separate contract with you guys to work. He said, yeah, okay, no problem. He goes, I will make you my second highest paid guys in WCW. One week, two weeks, three weeks, four months, two months. Never came true. He never did it. You know, I'm not sure what Animal's talking about in terms of me offering him different types of contracts. People have a tendency to kind of recreate history to suit their own needs and goals at the time. So to be honest with you, I may have. I don't remember what the, the details were. It was quite a long time ago, and their contract was one of probably 150 agreements that I've negotiated uh, over the last eight or nine years. So I honestly don't remember the specifics. You promised us you're going to give us a contract. You're insulting our intelligence by not giving us one. You're making us wait all this time. We're losing out on all this income, and we just took off a went. And I thought this was very good insight into a lot of things uh, about the road warriors, especially with the breakup. You can see how much it really affected Animal, especially with Hawk having the cheek to go over to Japan and just starting the road warriors again. <laughs> But then fast forward a bit and JR mentions that the Road Warriors hadn't burned any bridges beyond repair and we see LOD 2000 return at WrestleMania 14. This time with Sonny leading the way, no Paul Ethering, this time we've got Sonny. Uh, Road Warrior Animal mentions how LOD changed their style with new shoulder pads and helmets to try and reinvent themselves. This included adding Dross to the team. It was a guy that was signed by Vince McMahon because he could make himself spew up on, on command. Um, but he kind of slowly integrated into the team and made Dross an animal Legion of Doom with Hawk kind of being the third man because he was a little bit untrustworthy with his demons that he was battling outside the ring. Uh, and these addiction issues then became a storyline because of course they did. Um, eventually resulting in Dross pushing Hawk off a Titantron. Mike, be careful, don't move! Don't move! You've been my brother for so long! Don't move! Don't touch me! Don't touch me! Don't touch me! Get a shirt! No! Oh, what? God Almighty! Good God! 
The next chapter, though, it looks briefly at Hawke's recovery from his alcohol and drug abuse, uh, mentioning Harry was a now a born-again Christian, got his life back on track, became completely clean. Um, Animal talks about how the Road Warriors wanted to have one final stint with the WWE. Animal mentions that Hawke tried to contact Vince on multiple occasions, try and make peace before they were actually invited to Raw and SmackDown in 2003 to try out some matches. This didn't really go to plan as they had a match against Rob Van Dam and Kane on Monday Night Raw. Um, it was all going well. The Road Warriors were looking good. They were getting good, great crowd reaction until the finish of the match. Um, Hawk took both finishers from RVD and Kane. And then as <laughs> they got one, two, three, uh, Hawk was like, Nazi, I'm done. <laughs> he got up, fucked off while they were still celebrating and then looked very, very confused. Uh, I got a call from Joe. You know, Joe called me up and and uh, said Mike had died. He goes, ah, I gotta go move some boxes out and help my wife up. I'll call you back later. So the, he moved all the heavy stuff in and out of his house for his wife. And uh, it was like he knew he had to get it all done because there was no heavy stuff left to move that he was gonna go. For him to pass away, it was just, you know, it was really, like I said, numbing, but it was devastating too. And just really, you know, really hurt and really hit home. Hawk was one of those guys that you just didn't think would ever die. It was like he knew that he only had so much time to go and he wanted to go the right way and make sure everything was paid or whatever there for his wife and that's the way he went. That's what it seemed like. It was like losing a brother, which is something you never get over. Now, not only was Hawk a brother to Joe, her animal, he was also a partner. And it's almost, almost, I guess, would be like losing a husband or wife. It's very hard, traumatic. Animal's still not over it, and I don't know if he'll ever get over it. You know, the day he died, he died totally clean toxicology. Nothing in the system. Um, you know, because it's not like there's any friends you can call to say, hey, hey, let's hide it. You know, once the state gets you, they're going to test you, and that's exactly what they do with Hawk. You know, and they did the complete autopsy on him and everything, so... He just couldn't control his demons. They, had, they got the best of him. And when he finally said, that's enough, it was too late. I tell you, Hawk's got the biggest heart out of anybody I knew. I'm telling you, he would give you the shirt off his back. He would stop. I remember in the airport sometimes we'd stop and there'd be the guys begging. He'd pull out a hundred bucks and just give it to the guy. And I'd say, Hawk, what if the guy's working you? He goes, well, he obviously means it more to me if he's sitting there having to do that. He says everybody's a person, and if he's got to dig down low to actually have to beg for money, you know what, then he's a better man than I am, because I don't know if I could beg for money, he says, but he, he helped out a lot of, a lot of people. Towards the end of the DVD, uh, they focus on the end of the Road Warriors. Uh, we get comments from various superstars, Michael A's Animal, Paul Hellering, on the death of uh, Hawk, Michael Hegstrand. Um, Animal mentions that the Dudley Boys did a, a great tribute in 2003 on a broadcast of Monday Night Raw. Um, the DVD then closes with some classic footage of the Road Warriors and some comments from the people who worked with both Hawk and Animal over their illustrious careers. They changed the face of Tag Team Wrestling. They made a style of their own, and they made it a very unique style, a style that a lot of people imitated, but very few people duplicated. Two tough guys that came along at the right time in this business, and they entertained the people each and every night, and that will be their legacy. They did the one thing that you have to do to be successful. They could put an ass every 18 inches. They could sell tickets. 
bottom line. They are the greatest tag team of all time. They are the best, and I'm just so very, very fortunate and lucky to have been part of it. I know that my professional life and my personal life as well is better off because I got to spend time with those two. I can't say that about a lot of people. With 21 years together, you'd have to say the Road Warriors were the most enduring powerhouse of a tag team in history. I felt that these guys changed wrestling. They changed tag team wrestling. They changed the way tag teams wanted to appear. They changed the way tag teams wanted to wrestle. 50 years from now, they'll be looking back and saying, this was one of the best, one of the most innovative, and maybe the tag team of all time. Me, I thought this was a fantastic DVD. Um, it, especially, I'll get onto it shortly. The this too, with all the matches, an abundance of matches. Um, especially with uh, with the DVD and how they were documenting the career from with the AWA, with the NWA, WCW, WWF, um, all the key moments that they were speaking about in depth, and you saw little clips of the matches on the disc too. You get the full matches near enough. It's, so it's it's a great kind of it does it finishes the story. Hi, <laughs> Cody. <laughs> uh, but no, it, I thought it was a fantastic DVD. Um, Definitely check it out if you can find it. Um, I think for me, like I said, growing up as a kid, the Road Warriors, they just, I, obviously it was in an era where everybody had, it was a bit outlandish. There was a lot of colours. Uh, it was very bright. It was the WWF of the uh, 80s and 90s. But the Legion of Doom always stood out. I think because I kind of grew up on Demolition a little bit more before Legion of Doom. I was aware of Demolition before Legion of Doom. Um, but yeah, from like 91 onwards, Legion of Doom and the action figures and always wanted the shoulder pads. Never got the shoulder pads. Always wanted the shoulder pads. But yeah, so the matches, um, I, I'm not going to go through them all. You get some absolute bangers on here, though. Um, you get some early stuff from the NWA Georgia Championship Wrestling. Um, Road Warriors versus the Briscoes. Road Warriors versus Arn Anderson and Paul Jones, which is a banging match. Um, you got a few extras on the D, on the disc one. You got a lot of promos uh, from like WCW Wrestle War. We got a promo uh, Rumble '92, um, a promo from a bit later on in your house, in your house Degeneration X. Full of good stuff. Full of good stuff. And on disc two, I said loads and loads of matches. Um, one that really stood out for me was the Road Warriors versus Larry the Axe and Kurt Hennig. I was like, well, I've never seen them two wrestle together at all. But yeah, they had some great matches on here against like the Freebirds, Midnight Express, Demolition, uh, the, the Breton, Jim the Anvil, Neidhart. Uh, fantastic. It's great. It's always good to go back every now and again in that little nostalgia hit. Um, no finer way of getting that nostalgia hit than with a team like the Legion of Doom. So that's just been a little delve into the uh, DVD. I, I grabbed, got hold of it not long ago and I was like, I need to give this a watch and then I need to go and talk about it. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. I've been Dave. This has been the Art Era Podcast. Until next time, peace out, people. <laughs>